Baseball, boats, and bananas. Baseball, boats, and bananas. Now to have you sufficiently confused, baseball, boats, and bananas. Hoping that today, as we, as we continue in this Lenten season, that baseball, boats, and bananas will help, help bring you to a spot that this Lent will finish off as the best Lent of your life. How on earth are baseball, boats, and bananas going to bring us there? Baseball. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, I, I'm still a huge baseball fan. Baseball was my favorite sport. Um, I've always grown up loving baseball. That was given to me by my dad. Um, I've probably talked about it way too much, as if I had this illustrious career. Um, the Central Lafouche Baseball Association was the league, and I was the player. That's about where my career ended. Um, but anyway, I, I remember playing Little League, and I, I loved it to the point that I could do everything on the field at least decent. I could hit, maybe not run, uh, I was slow, but I could hit, I could play in the field, I could do all these things. The one thing that I was worst at when it came to baseball was pitching. I was not a pitcher, I never had to pitch, and if I did have to pitch, our team was in trouble, because I was not a pitcher by any stretch of the imagination. Well, one year we're playing and uh, our team was was pretty much the, the bottom dwellers of the league. We, we, we kind of lost pretty much every game we played. Um, and part of the reason why was because I was thrusted into pitching. Um, we didn't have pitching, and I had to do it. I think the only reason why they had me pitching um, was because guys weren't used to having a ball coming that slow with an arc to it, right? I was not a pitcher. One day I'm on the mound, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best, and I'm trying, and it just ain't working today. Whether, whether it's guys getting base hits, walking people, guys dropping bunts, it, it just, it, I was giving up hit, runner, hit, runner, over and over and over. Um, the bases looked like a merry-go-round as people just continued to go around and score and score, and we got killed in the game. During the course of the game, though, as I'm getting, I'm getting frustrated on the mound and I'm, I, I, I'm getting the yips and I'm, I'm, I can't really get through this inning, the other dugout starts chanting because they can see it. And like, like sharks in bloody water, they are on attack, right? So they're picking on me. They're saying stuff. I could hear a pitcher got a big butt coming out the other, other dugout. I'm like, I'm getting tired of this. It's over. And I'm just getting more and more frustrated. Someone please end this. And then I hear, time, Blue. It's my coach. I, I called him another name. Dad. Walking towards me. And I'm sitting there thinking, number one, thank God I'm about to get off the mound. Number two, I failed. My mission today was to try and get people out. My mission today was to try and put our team in a place to win. And I didn't have it, and I failed. And as Dad walked towards me, I, full of frustration, took the ball and threw it over my head and stormed off the mound. 
Dad stopped in the middle, all the, all the parents staring at me from the stands, all the players on the field staring at me. Dad stops in the middle of the, of the, of the, the, the infield, looks at me. Go to the dugout now. He said, you were going to go to first base. But if you're going to show that kind of attitude, and you're going to embarrass yourself like that, go sit on the bench. Walked over to the bench. I've never felt more embarrassed. I've never felt smaller, probably, in my life. And as I'm walking to the bench, that was the judgment. But the hell's fury was in my mother's eyes waiting at the dugout. And she looked at me and said, uh-uh, you're not going on the bench. Come outside. Pulls me out, and the echoes that went through Raceland's ballpark that day were very, very judgmental. It was very, very colorful language that was used. I tell you what, you ever embarrass me like that again? That, and, and all of it justified. I, I never, I don't, I don't, like I said, I never felt more isolated in my life. But one of the things my mom knew was that whenever I mess up like that, that she was going to teach me how to take responsibility. That something as selfish as showing attitude on a, on, a, on, a, on a baseball field could only be remedied by me humbling up. So at the end of the game, when the whole team gets together, the end of the game, whenever we were having our little talk with our coach, my mom comes in with me at her hip, interrupts and says, fellas, he's got something to tell you. I'm sorry, guys. It was humiliating, or humbling, if you will, to stand before my teammates and apologize for being selfish. But it was something that taught me a lot about what reconciliation really looks like, what it really means. Today, our, our, our responsorial psalm. Now, the, the book of Psalms has is is got 150 psalms in it. And they have various different things. And, and it's poetic language that talks about all kind of different spaces in life. Today's psalm, we know two things that are very important about it. We know, number one, who's, who its author is. It's King David. King David was known as the best king, the most historic king, the the wonderful king, the most popular king, the greatest king in the history of Israel. Today, his grave is still venerated as a place of pilgrimage for Jewish people. People loved King David. King David is exalted as the best of kings. So King David pins this psalm. It's the same David that was chosen by the prophet Samuel. The same David that was anointed and said that there was a prophecy about him that he was going to rise up. The same David who's got really good aim with a rock and took Goliath down. The same David who brought the, the ark into the city of Jerusalem, the chosen land, the ark of the covenant. And it's the same David that pins this psalm after he falls from grace. You don't know the story of King David. King David is, has all of this history, all of this resume of being the greatest king. 
And what happens at one point is he takes another man's wife as his lover, she becomes pregnant, and he has the man killed. If cancel culture was around then, no chance we would hear about King David. But King David has this, he has infidelity, he has an illegitimate child, and he has a murder on his hands. But he thinks he got away with it. He thinks he hid it. Until a prophet named Nathan comes to him. And Nathan comes to him and says, David, I need you to judge a case for me. I need you, the great and wise king that you are, to judge this case. And Nathan explains, he says, there was a man who had a bunch of flocks. He was a wealthy man. And his neighbor was a poor man who had one little lamb. One little ewe lamb. And he loved that little ewe lamb. It was his pet. It was his pride and joy. But then the wealthy man wanted to have a feast. And instead of going into his flocks and taking a lamb, what he did was is he went to his neighbor and took his one little ewe lamb and slaughtered it and fed it to his friends. And Nathan says, King David, what should happen to that wealthy man? And David looks at him and says, that man deserves to die. He would do something so horrendous, that man deserves to die. The prophet Nathan looks back at him and says, King David, four words, that man is you. This is what you did. You took Bathsheba. You killed Uriah. That man is you. The psalm we prayed today comes from that moment where King David is facing his sin. He's facing his place. And King David could could, could start to blame. He could start to look elsewhere. He could start to say, well, it's somebody else's fault. It's this happened. Well, that really was what was going on. He could make excuses or try and deflect. But instead... He pins the psalm that we prayed today. Just like me as a kid on a baseball mound in Racing, Louisiana, I could have looked around and said, well, it was the other people over there. They kept, or it was the coach who was calling bad pitches, who was my dad. But I could do all of those kind of things, but it didn't matter because I was the one that made the mistake. And I had to apologize. King David makes the mistake. And we prayed it today. Create a clean heart in me, O God. Renew in me a steadfast spirit. In the greatness of your compassion, wipe out my offenses. King David falls to his knees and throws himself at God's mercy when he sees the mistake that he made. When he sees that he has sinned, he has done wrong, and he becomes aware of it. How would it look if when it comes to your sin, the places that you fall short, the places that I fall short, how much of a drastic impact would it have on our life if we didn't deflect, if we didn't look for excuses, if we didn't try and throw the blame on somebody else, if we didn't try and downplay the sin? What would happen if you and I responded to God with the same kind of prayer that King David responds to God with today? Create a clean heart in me, O God. Renew in me a steadfast spirit. 
because of your compassion, wipe out my offense. What if the sin that we have, the flaws that we have, the shortcomings that we have in our life are not, would not be a place of just depression and burden and judgment? But of what if the flaws in our life were places that God could speak His grace into? The problem is, that could be uncomfortable to go there. That could be uncomfortable to kind of lean into the hurt or lean into the pain or lean into the memory of our sin and the places that we've fallen short. But this Lent is the perfect time, the perfect season for you and I to do just that. We have two weeks left of Lent. In two weeks' time, we're going to be celebrating Easter. Now this Lent, I don't know where you are. I don't know how it's been for you. I don't know if, if God has just worked miracles in your life. I don't know if God has, if, if He's been distant. I don't know if you've been too busy to be able to, to really plug in. But I, I want to invite all of us today that for the next two weeks, if we want Lent to be more than just 40 days, if we want it to be more than just following or doing something hard, giving something up, taking a cold shower, giving up the snooze button, whatever it is that you've been doing, if we want it to be something bigger than just these externals, then for the next two weeks, Let's lean in and ask God the same way that He made a clean heart in David to do the same for us. Flint's about externals. In two weeks, it's over. We go right back to doing what we were doing. But if Lent's about meeting a person, a personal God who wants to heal you, redeem you, and reestablish you, if that's what Lent's about, then this next two weeks can literally change your life. Some things to pay attention to. Baseball. Boats. If you've been following along with Father Mark's book that we gave out at the beginning of Lent, you may have heard this, but I'm going to use this example because I have a feeling that if you were like me when it comes to a book for Lent, you were really good at beginning, as I said last week, but maybe not so much as at continuing, so you may not have gotten to last Thursday. But there was a, there, there was a conquistador, Hernando Cortez, that was coming across on behalf of Spain to try and, to try and settle the new world. It's whenever the Spanish Empire was trying to expand into the New World. And Hernando Cortez gets his ships together and he has his men and they are going to come and they're going to conquer this New World on behalf of Spain. So what happens is, is that he stands out on the beach. He calls the men forward. And he says, are you ready to conquer this new wilderness? Conquer this New World on behalf of the crown? And the men, yes, yes. And fall in. After they fall in, after they're in their, in their, in, in their, um, their, their whatever it is, the, the formations, right? After they're standing on the beach, he looks at them and says it again. He says, are you willing to conquer this land? Are you ready to conquer this land on behalf of the crown? Yes. He says, get all the supplies off the boat. 
So they go and they get all of their supplies. They empty out the boats. They put it all on the, on the shoreline. And he looks at him and says, are you willing, one last time, he says, are you willing to conquer this wilderness, this land, to lay down your life if you have to, to conquer this land on behalf of the crown? Yes! And burn the ships. Because we're not going home. Cortez knew that those ships were going to be a temptation the moment the battle got too hard. He knew that whenever his men were ready to run, when things got a little bit too hard, when they were tired of sleeping under the stars and in the elements, that they were going to run to those ships and want to go home. They were going to want to go back. That they were going to turn away from what they had committed to doing to go back to the comfort and security of home. Last two weeks of Lent. What's the ships that you're keeping around as an escape to go back to the comfort and security of the life from two months ago? To go back to the comfort and security of what previously existed? Basically, are you resolved to conquer the battle that is the interior life? The battle that is against sin? And the battle that is for your soul? Are you just counting down the days to go right back to how it was? Today, I'm asking you, I think God is asking you, and I think today as we, as we continue in this Lenten season, the church is asking you that whatever that ship is, burn it. If that momentary escape for you is something like gossip or alcohol or gluttony or pornography or whatever it is, go, go home today and burn it. If it's a relationship that you know you're going to talk about somebody, burn it. If it's a smartphone that just is an is a instrument of sin for you, break it. Burn the ship. Baseball, boats, bananas. Does anybody know how a monkey is trapped in the wild? A monkey trap, there's a lot of different ways they can do it, but one of the most effective ways to trap a monkey is it's a small cage. Sometimes they use like a coconut or something. It's a small thing or a jar or a cage. What, what they'll do is, is they put a banana in this small cage. And when they put the banana in this small cage or in this jar, what they have is the, the, the spout or the opening is small enough for a monkey to fit its hand in. It can force its hand into this, into this hole whenever it's hanging from a tree. It can force its hand into the hole. But what happens is, is once it gets its hand around the banana, it can't get its hand back out. So a monkey will be trapped, and all it has to really do is let go. But it won't let go because it really wants the banana. So it'll stay there trapped 
until the, the trapper comes and, and they, they sedate it and then they can bring it wherever they need to, whether it be the lab or, or zoos or whatever. But that's how monkeys are trapped in the wild. Said that it's, a, it's, a, it's a small thing, but all it is, they reach in, they grab a banana, and they can't get their hand out. If that's the case, I have a feeling that you might not, you may be somebody who's sitting there like, Father, I don't, I don't have that much, I don't have, I don't have all these ships that I want to go back to. I don't have too many of them. You might just be, it might just be one thing that you're held, holding on to and you don't want to let go of. It might just be one thing that you're taking a little bit too much security in and you think, I've got to hold on this, but in reality, I'm trapped by it. It might just be one thing, that, that one banana that's in your hand that has you stuck and all you have to do is let go. And it'd be really easy to let go. I'll quit. I can quit this anytime. It's not that big of a deal. But in reality, it's got you more than you've got it. The same way God wants us to burn any ships, any sense of temptation, any sense of escape, He wants us to look for that one thing in our life. What is that one thing in your life that if you let go of today, you would live more free? you would live more full. What is the one thing that plagues you? The one empty well that you continue to go to? What's the one space that if you let go, you could live a life more free and more full? How do we burn the ship? And how do we let go? Well, the first step, I, my humble opinion, the first step for all of this is in the sacrament of reconciliation. Because it gives us a place to go with all of the junk, with all of the stuff. It allows us to go directly to God through a mediator, the priest. And, and we know that when we go to confession, that the ships get burned. That we receive the grace to not return to them. We know that when we go to confession, it is an action for us of letting go and of receiving freedom. This week, every parish in our diocese from 6 o'clock p.m. to 8 o'clock p.m. on Wednesday for two hours, every church in our diocese is going to be here in confessions. Confession is going to be available at every church around the diocese. So if you are afraid, you're someone who's nervous about going to see your priest in case we might recognize your voice, which we, pretty much we won't, I'm just letting you know. But if you're someone who's like, I don't want to go to that local boy who's kind of crazy and talks too long in Mass, like, like if, if, you don't want to go, if you feel like, man, I want to go, then great, go to Jean, Father Jean-Marie or go to Father Clyde because they won't recognize your voice. But the same mercy is waiting for you. We have Mercy Night, our last Mercy Night this week on Thursday night, 6.30 to 8. You can come, pray, be before our Lord, and we have confession available. On Friday, we have confession available before Way of the Cross. We have confession available before every Mass, and during Holy Week, we're going to be doing drive-through confessions again. If you want this Lent to be more than just a difficult practice for 40 days, or a way of, of, of not eating meat on certain days, if you want your Lent to be the greatest moment of your life that has an impact well beyond, I can't encourage you enough. 
find the sacrament of confession and come in ready to name every one of the ships so we can burn it and to let go of that one thing that is keeping you from freedom. Two weeks left. Two weeks that can have a, a, a massive impact on the rest of your life. May we enter into these last two weeks, into Holy Week, ready to burn the ship, let go of, let go of whatever we need to let go of, Let us approach the Lord seeking His mercy and echoing the words that David said. Create a clean heart in me, O God.